This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Like, follow, comment, and subscribe. Those are four words popular among social media users today, brands included. And when you are a company looking to engage with your customers on a personal level or speak to them more broadly, social media has become the number one place to achieve those goals. Social media is really today's broadcast channel. So brands are sharing information. They're ultimately doing an aspect of advertising. They're promoting and these sorts of things are valuable and traditionally have been the place that marketers have focused and social media is just today's channel for doing that. That's Terry Sidoric, the CEO of Chaortix. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, Terry discusses why something as simple as a double tap on a product's Instagram page says more about how your brand is relating to customers than most other metrics. Plus, Terry discusses the difference between social and community and how an online branded community can actually fill some of the voids that social leaves open. And he dives into online communities and how they are helping brands better understand how to build meaningful relationships with their customers. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we have special guest, Terry, how are you? Great, Ian, and yourself? It's a great day, a uh, great day to be talking about marketing, uh, and I'm excited to learn more about Chaotix, share that with our audience, and uh, talk a little bit about your background. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in marketing? Um, yeah, you know, it, it certainly wasn't a direct path. Um, I didn't come out of school looking to be a marketer per se, um, but ended up uh, understanding the value of it as well as spending a little bit of time there. So, I, you know, I graduated out of mechanical engineering, uh, worked for a couple of years and then went back and completed my MBA. And then on graduating out of the MBA program, I ended up working for a large telecommunication equipment manufacturer uh, here in Canada. And uh, interesting enough, I spent five years in finance and then had the opportunity to move across to a product marketing role within that organization. So that was really my first exposure to marketing per se with respect to the the various aspects of business. And, you know, the last 20 years I've spent uh, in early stage technology companies. And so the need to understand uh, the market and the product market fit has become obviously paramount. And so, um, you know, I certainly haven't spent much time in the traditional marketing transaction kind of role, more of a strategic, you know, product market fit. And in fact, you know, I'll draw reference to uh, a recent podcast that you guys had where Latney Connett, the CMO of Sixth Sense, you know, addressed this whole idea of dropping the ING in the CMO um, title. So chief market officer. And for me, that really resonated because that's, in essence, my exposure to marketing up until this point. Yeah, great, great reference. Ladney was uh, awesome. And, you know, it's funny, about uh, 150 episodes ago, we had uh, Jennifer Johnson on and she echoed the same thing, right? Which is like the CMO needs to be the chief market officer. And, um, you know, it kind of brings up such an interesting point about like the future marketing where you have understanding the actual market. Um, understanding, you know, your customers and and prospects 
you know, better understanding that kind of customer experience. And then you have like, you know, the do side of marketing. And then you have the kind of like structural parts of marketing. And the modern CMO has to kind of deal with all of those things. And all those things are, are really different. Totally agree. And, that, and that's the thing that, you know, that I see. And certainly in my role as CEO, it's more of the strategic side. And so the relevance of market and understanding you know, what, what's happening with respect to technologies, what's happening with respect to existing customers. And just in general, where do we have to steer our organization to be successful long-term? So it's a big focus for me on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, flash forward to today, you know, obviously you're the CEO. So, you know, marketing falls under you, all things fall under you. You know, I think that there is, you know, crowdsourcing as kind of a concept came about. And, uh, I, you know, there's kind of this moment where, you know, how does technology help people take this like extremely powerful thing and turn it into a product? And that's exactly you know, what you all have done at Chaotix. Can you share for our listeners who don't know more about the company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're a SaaS-based uh, community platform provider. And really, we saw that opportunity uh, evolving from crowdsourcing in that there is value in you know, social networking, there's value in online forums, and there's obviously a need for insights. And so, you know, the community platform we provided really brings that all together. And it provides an always-on situation where you're working and connecting with the people that are ultimately making use of your product and services. And so, services. So that really gives you that opportunity to continue to work with them, co-create, understand them, and develop a you know a meaningful one-to-one relationship. And that's really been you know the the challenge for marketing from day one is working down to that one-to-one relationship with your end consumers. And and ultimately, that's that's a focus for Chaotix. And you know, I think there's a number of things that currently are in place that enable that. And I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about it. But that's why we're excited about uh, the opportunity in front of us. Yeah, you know, I mean, we talk all the time on this show about listening, right? You know, most most uh, CMOs' advice for other CMOs is to listen. You know, when they come into the job, you know, we talk about listening to your customers, listening to your prospects, creating room for that. Well. You know, crowdsourcing ideas, crowdsourcing feedback is a great way to do that. Where are we at on this market? Like, are people actually, you know, using the power of crowdsourcing correctly? Like, what inning is this? Um, yeah, I think, you know, when you're asking your question, you know, up until are they using it correctly, I would have said, yeah, yeah, definitely trending in the direction. Correctly is something that I think kind of describes where the marketplace is today. It's still very much in that sort of infancy, but moving to a general kind of consumption. And we certainly have some great examples, you know, companies that we work with that uh, are making strong use of a crowdsourced uh, you know, marketplace to garner better appreciation, co-create, et cetera. And then you've got a lot of companies that continue to run challenges in a crowd-based scenario. So probably one of the largest and um, uh, users and, and ultimately uh, brands that uh, we'd all be familiar with is NASA. NASA is constantly running challenges and they appreciate the fact that as much as internally, they have some incredibly smart individuals, those folks work from sort of a structured format and maybe a bias that exists within um, their framework, their upbringing. And so to actually expose a particular business challenge to a wider audience, they found it's been extremely successful because people will just look at it through a different lens, a different perspective, which might just be enough to address the specific challenge that they've had that they couldn't solve uh, historically. 
And so it's a perspective that, you know, the biologist might have a means by which he goes about his day-to-day work that will crack open a solution, whereas, uh, you know, the engineer was structured and, and was looking at the problem in a totally different way. And so if you advance and, and basically bring the crowd into that opportunity and expose it to, you know, in essence, the globe today with respect to what you can do with technology, you have that opportunity to really tackle some big problems and it's been proven that that's been done and solved through people that you know ultimately you probably wouldn't have gone to originally as individuals to to resolve your issues so who do who are you all marketing to who's your who's your persona or buying committee um there's a there's a couple um you know obviously we're looking for that proactive brand uh, that is creative and uh, has a, a product offering that is you know, amenable to sort of a co-created environment. We also are looking for folks that have uh, demonstrated an appreciation and understanding that today's consumer is looking for the brands that number one are demonstrating purpose and number two are interested in working with the end buyers or the consumers of the product and services. And that's just something that you know um, is not consistent across all marketplaces, but ones that we feel are the are most logical to work with today. And quite frankly, are just down the road. And, and there's a lot of great examples that, uh, uh, you know, that are out there and that we work with, uh, you know, Lego is probably, you know, our, our anchor tenant and they're the ones that have uh, been in this game for the longest. Yeah, quite literally the longest because they, <laughs> Lego has been around for a long, long time and, uh, and reinvented themselves and, and done a lot of cool things. So you have this kind of like juxtaposition between, you know, folks in marketing, they use your product and folks in innovation. Like, how do you look at those two groups? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that we've seen, you know, organizations that come in with a strong intent on innovation. I want to work with the community to identify new product opportunities and then ultimately end up the value gets uh, created through the marketing content that is created as a result of the engagement they have with the users. So one of the key things that we've seen is depending on where the ownership of that community lies is usually the big driver. So we do have uh, the marketing folks, which is, you know, for us, a natural evolution of what's going on today with social community being that kind of follow on and using community for crowdsourcing purposes. And then we have, um, you know, the innovation size where often it sits with the product group. And so depending on what that is, uh, as far as the offering to the market, it's something that the, the product organization can use to, uh, to innovate around uh, pro- uh, future product ideas uh, with their community. Yeah. And so, you know, as you're marketing to those two different groups, like how is that, how is that different? How does your marketing change? Um, well, I mean, in the one sense, you know, we, we continue to work to show value in terms of why you want to engage with the community, right? And so demonstrated proof relative to uh, where the success comes from by engaging this community. So the concept of marketing content, you know, here's a situation where um, not only are you offering a product, but you want to offer an extended solution to that marketplace. And so probably the example there that, you know, the analogy might be um, interesting to look at is the fact that when I go out and want to buy a pair of sneakers, you know, there's a number of reasons that I might want to do that. So um, you know, one of them obviously is, uh, you know, maybe a runner and I want to run faster. Maybe I'm looking at it for more from a style perspective. But the brand itself then has to recognize that I need to surround that transactional product offering 
and engage that consumer in more than um, you know just the, the the specific item itself. So if I then surround it with means by which I can offer the consumer means uh, ways to understand uh, how they can make use of uh, fitness to further uh, their health benefits, uh, how they can make use of uh, various uh, community. Uh, groups that uh, collect because of uh, or get together because of the you know they're all interested in running etc then the person says wow i'm not only just buying uh, a product i'm actually buying a, a relationship and so i'm i've got a long-term uh, connection to the brand and then as it progresses forward i have the opportunity now to establish a one-to-one -one relationship with that individual foster them and have them as a long-term client so what do i gain out of that Obviously, I gain more than just the transaction itself. There's follow-on opportunities. There's the advocacy piece. Um, I work with a community member then to subsequently generate content uh, and things like this. So it, it you know it, it just evolves from that. On the innovation side, it's probably more directly around just uh, uh, the idea of how do I take the product and make it better or evolve it, or perhaps address an opportunity in the market that I'm not doing today. So they do differ. And really, it's, it's around uh, ultimately where the ownership of that uh, potential community offering will sit inside the organization. So how does social media differ from the social communities that you're building? Well, um, yeah, that's, that's actually a great question and one that we get, we get asked a lot. But, you know, simply put, uh, we feel community provides engagement and control. And ultimately, in our scenario, the brand owns a community, and that's why they can foster that engagement and also ultimately control the environment as well as the data that is collected within, within the uh, uh, community itself. So today, you know, if you look at it, social media is really you know, today's broadcast channel. So brands are sharing information. They're ultimately doing an aspect of advertising. They're promoting, and these sorts of things um, are valuable and, and uh, you know, traditionally have been the place uh, that marketers have focused, and social media is just today's channel for doing that. Community, in our view, is the engagement channel. So it's a place where we can um, you know, uh, gather our consumers, um, manage that interaction, and really gain a, an appreciation and an understanding uh, for the folks that are buying our product. So you know, again, I'll, I'll draw on an analogy. So imagine yourself at a conference, right? So you know, social media, um, you know, that's the keynote speaker. That's the individual that gets up and basically conveys uh, a storyline, uh, uh, you know, feature functionality, a value set to an audience and promotes uh, through that, uh, that situation or the product offering, et cetera. Now, the audience themselves, you know, they may or may not be paying attention. They may or may not hear everything. But at the same time, you know, when you look at it from a broadcast perspective, there's value in doing that. Online communities to us is the next step. So think of it as the workshop that follows uh, the keynote speaker. So now you have an opportunity to answer questions directly. You can engage with that audience. Uh, you can act or act, interact in a one-to-one -one relationship. And so you're fostering just that next level of communication and relationship um, with your audience. And then lastly, you know, I mean, ultimately, if you can push that uh, to uh, the community being sort of like the happy hour, then you're in a relaxed state, you're gaining trust. And so if you look at that from an analogy that guards down, now you're starting to really understand the consumer at a different level than you have in the past. So it's really the opportunity to um, you know, give social a purpose, as we say. So the values become, I get to shape the conversation, 
you know, I'm act, I'm driving activities into the community. I'm moderating the community so I can probe. I can ask for additional questions. So I shape that conversation. I can guide the participation. You know, I'll see nuggets of information. Uh, I can probe. I can come back with a different set of activities based on what I've learned. Probably the biggest thing is I maintain security around the data that I'm collecting. And so now I'm going to build trust with the audience. I mean, that's one of the things today that I think is uh, starting to really kind of rear and gain momentum is that whole aspect of privacy and uh, security of the data that uh, the various platforms out there today are collecting. And then, uh, you know, the last piece is, is the last piece is putting that data and that insights to work. So those to me are the key four values and differences between social media and community. So we view that the future of social is in fact uh, community and not media. So that's a big driver for us. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I tend to agree. I mean, I think, I think every marketer, they had their druthers, uh, would love to be, you know, at the reins of a vibrant community that their customers and prospects are participating in that drives a ton of value for their customers and prospects that they have the data of all that stuff. So the question is like, how do you do that? And like, I'm curious, you know, from where you sit, what are some of the best practices of like how to create, you know, that type of community without inserting your brand so much that it's distracting or that people feel like they, they don't want to be involved? Like, what is that right blend and what, what are some best practices? That's a great, great question. And, and again, you know, something that is important to build a community. So, so what we've seen um, historically is that, you know, communities go through logical phases, you know, not unlike, uh, you know, when you get together as a group, you go through those various growth phases. Community is very much similar. One of the things we strive um, with the brand, uh, strive to communicate to the brands that we work with is, the understanding that you you know, have to be genuine with what you're doing in there. Today's consumers are extremely knowledgeable. They're extremely bright. And they see through any facade that is anything other than what the intent is or what the communicator's intent is. So if you want to build a community for the value of the consumers, then the last thing these folks want to see is that you're basically continue to pitch or sell to them. So they're looking for that brand that wants to be genuine with them. So in being genuine, you know, there's aspects of being transparent. Uh, you've got to constantly focus on building trust and then appreciate the fact that the community itself will have a different makeup. So what is it that, um, you know, becomes a value? You know, I think today I would characterize it that we're very much in an, in an exchange economy. And so um, certainly there is a willingness to give up personal information if it's also benefiting me in return. So I'm not naive in saying that by participating in a community that's brand owned, but the brand isn't getting value. I just want to make sure that with that value, I'm getting some reciprocating aspect back to me. And so again, if we look at that, is that, um, you know, what are the other attributes of a community to become important? And so we have a structured environment where we have different, you know, activities and quick question polls, surveys that allows the brand to nurture and pull information. But we also have aspects where the brand can convey uh, information. So really popular in some of the communities is really that tips and tricks. So if I'm dealing with a specific product, you know, how do I better use that product? Bringing uh, professionals in, you know, people that make their living doing uh, different things um, and can, can educate me on quick ways that I can make use of products. So let me refer to a specific community. We have a creator studio community with Rustolium. Rustolium being a North American brand 
uh, deals with primarily spray paints, but stains and other uh, various household improvement things. And that community is, is going on to its fifth year now. And you know the value in that becomes the exchange of information. And the, the members there have got to a point that they're extremely interested in everyone's opinion. It's a very mature uh, community. The information is exchanged. You know, they have professionals that come in and, and basically show how to better do a do-it-yourself project. And so uh, that's where you get that reciprocating aspect within the community itself. So as a practice, what you want to do is make sure that in today's world where you're competing for that finite resource of time, it's got to be of interest for the individual to come back into that community. Secondly, or on another point, about 60, 65% of our community members across the different brands we work with access the, uh, over handheld devices. And so, again, you know, we're always striving to ensure that that experience on a handheld device is as rich and informative as it would be on a desktop because you're dealing with bite-sized pieces of information as an individual goes about their day-to-day. And so how do I basically attract them into the community, give them that value, and then give them a reason to constantly return back? So for us, it's that aspect of the brand has got to be genuine. It's got to be transparent. There's got to be two-way value um, exchange happening. And these sorts of things will foster a vibrant community. One of the things we've noticed is that when you reach that point, the community takes over for itself. So up front, a lot of investment has to happen from the brand in terms of providing uh, valuable content, programming, uh, various aspects of what happens in the community. But over time, you're looking for the unstructured aspect of the community to deliver as, as much value to the members as it does to the brand. So one of the things that we promote is, uh, you know, we call it the community cafe. It's that water cooler in a virtual sense. And that's where the community members can start to engage with each other and exchange ideas. So no longer do they depend on the brand to answer a specific question or get assistance with use of a product, but other members participate and pitch in. And that aspect has kind of been there for a long time with community. If you think about one of the first uses of online communities was support, right? How do I offload the support burden of the organization? Well, why don't I just let other users subsequently support each other? because probably somebody out there has run into the same question that you're asking, has an answer, and then you can get that uh, feedback from the individual, the member versus the brand itself. So going back to the, like the Lego example, so you take, you know, a company like Lego, which, you know, always pushing innovation, always pushing, you know, new marketing, obviously. Uh, And we've we've had Lego, um, Michael Moynihan from Lego on the show to talk about, you know, creating, you know, the movies and those sort of things. So it kind of seems like, you know, very, very forward company that would do something like this. You know, their, their community has hundreds of thousands of people that are, you know, tinkering and trying to create new concepts for Lego kits. And then Lego has actually taken, you know, a bunch of these to market and they result in sellouts and, and, you know, ton of demand. And they're, they're really cool. Some stuff that, you know, clearly their team maybe had never thought of or something like that. So it works on the product level and it works on the marketing level. And it's kind of like, you know, the Nirvana sort of moment there. Is there some like repeatability and scalability that can work for like B2C, for like all B2C companies where they can do similar sort of things? How does that kind of framework 
you know, allow for something like that. Obviously, Lego being a really cool product, but like, what are the things that you know that other companies could do to 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 replicate that success? Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, Lego. If I could quickly just kind of go back to to Lego and talk a little bit about how they do things, and then kind of convey that into sort of the futures. But as you mentioned, uh, Michael Moynihan, um, VP of Marketing at, at the Lego Group, talked about um, you know using consumers and shoppers as your nor as their north star, and then conveyed you know how Lego Ideas, which is the community that uh, Chaotix supports in the Lego world delivers um, product innovation through an open innovation environment and they ultimately you know co-create with their fans in a hugely successful community you know, it's, it's actually just about to peak at 1.5 members now uh, we've been working with them for eight years 1.5 million 1.5 million members correct yeah oh my gosh yeah yeah it's been hugely successful. And, you know, the interesting thing through these challenging times of late, you know, you hear anecdotally stories about how puzzle sales have went through the roof because, you know, people were confined inside, um, in, you know, their homes, et cetera, and were looking for different means of, uh, you know, working within the family or doing things together. Lego saw in the community, we saw a 300% increase on activity. And so, again, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, Lego has always co-created. This is what's interesting to us. So they were so far ahead that they were co-creating long before sort of internet or virtual capability came around. They just did it in a physical sense. So they saw the value of collating their members and then working with them to better understand how the product was used and what they might consider going forward and ultimately potentially introducing innovative new solutions. All they did was move that to an online sense, and we supported them in doing so. So it's really quite interesting. You know, just to, to quickly uh, reflect for those that um, aren't aware of how that works, any member in, in the community can introduce a product idea. The community then is looked and evaluates those products, and ultimately Lego looks for them to reach 10,000 votes or 10,000 signs of appreciation if this makes sense, and then in, in within a one-year period. They then take that product internally to assess whether it will work on a number of different aspects. Number one, does it align with the brand values that Lego has? So that's first thing. Number two, are there any internal projects that are ongoing that are like that? And therefore, there could be a conflict. So that's something they're very conscious of. Three, is there any IP issues? Do they need licensing rights? And they've introduced products in the past where you know, they have a Star Wars licensing agreement, etc. So they go through all that and then, and then assess, you know, which is the best product to bring out. And they do so. At the same time, they do a little bit of market research. And so they create a market actually before that product is, is actually introduced. And then they launch it. And they launch it to a lot of fanfare. And every kit that's come out of Lego Ideas, and I think it's somewhere around the 30 mark today, has been hugely successful and, you know, economically successful for the organization. Now, the value or the reasons that these people contribute is that there is a royalty that they get as a result of uh, uh, being a successful inventor of the product, and they share in a, a, a commission, if you will, with uh, the commercial success of the product. And so you would think that that's attractive and it can be fairly substantive from what we understand, but really the motivator is the intrinsic value. It's being recognized by the individuals in the community, the peer group as someone who's been successful in creating this product. So that, again, really interesting because it builds, uh, builds a value set and advocacy aspect within that 1.5 million that continues to push the Lego story out. And again, we all recognize Lego as probably being one of the top five recognized brands globally. 
But, you know, if you look at what, what does Lego get out of this, and, and I'm kind of, I'll, I'll come back to the original question, but, you know, what does Lego get out of this? Because I think this is where, you know, other brands have to recognize it, is that they have the opportunity to subsequently do a big fanfare on launch. So uh, communities that some of, some of the listeners may be aware of that have come out recently, there was the Friends set. It, it, it attracted a massive amount of PR. And so, again, market value. Uh, Saturn V rocker, Rocket. Uh, the yellow submarine was actually uh, done by a, a Canadian out of Toronto. And uh, you know, when they launched that product, they brought the inventor over to a Lego store uh, close to Abbey Road. They did the whole fanfare around the yellow submarine with the Beatles aspect. It's so really promoted things. And then most recently, there, uh, there's been a functioning grand piano that came out of the community. And again, really interesting. But what does Lego? I mean, there are literally two articles per week. Uh, at least, uh, that are published around how valuable the community is in co-creation in terms of creating to Lego's future, as well as that friend, uh, sorry, that affinity by the, the fans. And so the, the value on the marketing front alone, not only product innovation, is hugely successful. So now they have the opportunity to go beyond Lego ideas of community and cross-promote uh, within the organization. So now if you take that and kind of apply it to another business, there's all kinds of opportunities. Now, most companies aren't going to have this successful, I'm sorry, going to have a product that is uh, amenable to sort of innovation like Lego bricks are. But at the same time, they have a product that has a fan base and there's an ability to engage those people and work around innovation as well as marketing content. So to us, when we look at this, it's a natural evolution from where you are today. So the social side of the world today with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is a signal with respect to a brand's affinity. The number of likes, follows, etc., that a brand has is extremely interesting. And again, if you go back to social being that broadcast channel, there's information that's put out across the Facebook, the, the Twitter, the Instagram to help promote the brand, help promote product for the brand. But these individuals have, in essence, put their hand up and said, hey, I'm interested in your brand. I'm interested in what you're doing. And the question we go back to them about it is, so what are you doing about that? They are expressing an interest and just looking for you to engage with them. So you've got a dynamic that says the individuals are interested. And now you have technology, which is enabling you to, in essence, grab these folks from around the globe on a handheld device and get them involved, you have a growing sentiment within the consumers that they're looking for brands who care about what they have to say. And I'll argue that anybody out there selling in a B2C environment has that uh, aspect of their business. So why not engage those folks to, to do everything from iterate on what you're offering today, whether it's a physical product or a service, or work with them to define where you need to go in the future. And so that's the value of community. It's an always-on, real-time, market research-type environment that gives you those insights that are valuable for you going forward. Will it replace everything you're doing? Absolutely not. But it'll add another set of data that will help you assess what you might want to do on a go-forward basis and better align with the folks that are making you successful today, your consumers. Yeah, I mean, I think we also have this um, situation on social media where if your actual social channel isn't interesting, then people might not follow you despite how much, you know, like affinity they have for your brand. So I think people 
you know, might love Wendy's Twitter, but not necessarily love Wendy's, for example, that's, you know, people love Wendy's, but just for example, that you have kind of that moment. But if they're in your community, there's no denying it, right? Like they're there for a reason. There's no other reason that they would be there, you know, other than the community has value, right? Like, I mean, the value of following Wendy's Twitter is that they're funny. Whether or not you eat their burgers or not, it doesn't, you know, really matter for following their Twitter account. But if you create a community around, you know, a shared purpose and a shared goal, you're going like, they're there for that reason. So how do you focus on like, you know, making that goal? And like, is this, is this relevant for, for B2B? Um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, one of the things we, we often look at is sort of how the community is structured and what is the purpose. So in the B2C world, you know, it's a pretty straightforward situation in terms of I'm selling a product or a service into a group of people. That group of people is varied. It's geographically all over the place. And subsequently, I can, you know, can engage with them. In a B2B scenario, it, it, it does have um, value, but it's changes, it changes a lot with respect to what you're doing. So today, you know, we sell B2B for the B2C scenario. So in our world, you know, we're constantly marketing to a B2B, espousing the values of why you would want to go into community. There is an advocacy aspect that I think is important in a B2B uh, situation um, where you know, if, if I'm in a non-competitive world, and I'm selling a service, um, like a payroll system, having a community uh, that stretches across various verticals, various segments of market, but all having a requirement to service payroll is a community that I think would be extremely valuable. Not only are they helping each other, but they're also going to help that company understand, not unlike the consumer community, understand what's important relative to my needs as a payroll professional uh, in a B2B environment, right? So the, the business itself has to have that understanding. And I now are in a community. And, and by definition of a community, it's a grouping of individuals that have a common interest and are, are, are you know, viewed to, to be interested in where the product or service is going. So I will then work with those individuals. And so in that case, I'm sharing insights with respect to various challenges I might have in a day-to-day basis, uh, requirements that may result you know, things that uh, are important to me as a payroll professional. That's just, you know, an example that may not obviously resonate with a lot of people, but it's a situation that, uh, again, crosses uh, competitive environments and allows a community to form uh, that is valuable to those individuals, professionals within a service part of the organization. So, you know, obviously being a CEO is different, you know, than being a, a CMO. You know, you've, uh, you've been an executive at, at a bunch of companies over the years, like a couple have gotten acquired. You know, how does, how is being a CEO changed? Uh, you know, what are some of the, the tips to be a successful CEO here? I know we have a lot of uh, marketing listeners who want to be a CEO someday. So, you know, what are, what are your kind of uh, Terry's tips for, uh, for being a great CEO? Um, well, you know, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things and, and, you know, it will vary depending on the organization and the, and the market that you're in, in terms of where your focus is. You know, the CEO has obviously, as a role, is extremely broad. And so having an appreciation of the interactions between marketing, finance, HR, operations, again, depending on your business, is extremely important, such that you can support those functional requirements for the overall success of the business. So understanding a level of detail of how and what drives each of those organizations and ensuring that the focus within the metrics probably that you're ultimately 
uh, measuring do align such that it's beneficial to all functions and not counter to one or the other. And I think as a CEO, you know, that's a big part of the focus in terms of that, that breadth across functions. You know, so for me on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm in the weeds uh, on and off, um, you know, especially quarterly as we do financial reporting. But at the same time, I'm supporting the other leaders within the functions and ensuring that, you know, they have the tools and the support. And ultimately, I can remove barriers that might be impeding their ability to be successful. So, you know, how has it changed over the years? You know, what I've witnessed is that, you know, Early on, it was more of a traditional hierarchy, you know, a kind of a top-down approach. And, and a lot of businesses still exist and operate in that way. But for me, uh, it's really been flipped. And I think that what I try to practice is sort of that servant leadership. So my role is to listen all the time, be aware of what's going on, try to be as empathetic as I can be with respect to the challenges that each function faces, supportive where it needs to be, Establish that level of trust with the leaders and the functions, clear the roadblocks that are out there, and more importantly, probably coach and mentor the individual leaders within the functions. You know, one of the things that I've learned to appreciate, I, I played a lot of uh, high-level hockey. I had a lot of great coaches. And one of the things that intrigued me over time was if we have coaches and various support folks in athletics, which is sort of that team sport, Business is a team sport as well. So why not have the coaches and, and, and aspects of that that exist for the members of the team, the business team? And so I, I, I've taken a real interest in sort of the coaching side of things. I'm still learning. I, I, there's lots, lots that I can do on a day-to-day basis. But I try to sort of step into a coach and mentoring role where I can. And I think that just benefits everyone. Because ultimately, what I want to be is uh, surrounded by individuals that have expertise in each of the functions that I trust, and subsequently, they will do what they need to do to advance the business as a whole. My job is just to, to weave and mend all that together such that the organization can have the success that, uh, that, uh, you know, that it needs to to go forward. We touched on a little bit on, on data and how, um, how your platform you know, helps people kind of get some you know, ground truth there. But I'm curious, like, what do you see from a data perspective uh, for Chaotix customers? Like, how are they leveraging, like, that new influx of data to make decisions? Yeah. Um, it, and again, I'll tell you, it, it differs, but I'll, I'll tell you what we provide. And then we look to uh, the brand itself to direct, direct us in terms of how we can support. So the platform that we've introduced, um, as I mentioned before, has a number of different sort of engagement focuses. So we have places where we're pulling information constantly from the users in the community, and we can report on all of that at any given time on any given segment. So we have that classic kind of ability to segment the information, collect it across a survey, across an activity, uh, across a challenge, and subsequently then extract that in terms of a, a standard report that exists in the platform, but more often what we find is that the brand itself will extract the raw data and import it into their BI tool and then subsequently go through their um, specific assessment, which is not unlike what they're doing today. It's just that the information they're collecting is from a different source. Community is giving the ability to collect that in a controlled environment, protected environment, as I've mentioned before, on a real-time basis. And so that value gets delivered quickly. You know, one of the things, for example, that 
is extremely valuable to a brand manager and organization and quickly demonstrates sort of the ROI is that traditionally, if a brand manager wanted to do some market testing, there's a lot of requirements to orchestrate that coordination, working with external parties, et cetera. What the community does is gives you that online environment. We have one client today that has constantly, the brand managers within the organization are bringing forward things like, hey, I want you to test this color concept out on these labels. Can you run it by the community? I've got a new idea relative to a product offering. Can we do a quick, quick test with the community? And we, we are able to work with them to construct something quickly, throw it out to the community and report back within a 24-hour period. So the value of that speed of reporting back to the brand individual inside the organization you know, is, is, is large. It's huge. And so what typically would have taken weeks or months now can be done in a matter of days. And that value alone, as, as given uh, the one specific brand, um, the internal ROI to continue to work with us, let alone the advocacy, let alone the marketing content. And so that is a, you know, a demonstrated value of, of how always on communities can be beneficial to a brand. Yeah. So what's next for, uh, for communities? What's next for Carotix? Um, well, you know, right now we're focused on um, sort of the insights and co-creation. Um, I think there's a big push in, with respect to the ability to get into a little bit more of the advocacy side of things. We will continue to uh, introduce new capabilities, you know, feature functionality on the platform. We have a strong focus, as I mentioned earlier, on engagement, creating a fun, exciting, um, interesting place to go, and then working with our brands to ensure that that environment is is you know filled with the content and the value that the consumers are looking for. We're looking to see you know how we can engage other third-party applications, uh, value-add uh, applications that can be part of the community offering in terms of engagement that are more one-off versus continually. Uh, and uh, yeah, we just continue to migrate and push community in the marketplace in terms of the values that it can give brands. You know, obviously with the rise of COVID, um, people, you know, working remote or, you know, many people working remote and then, you know, other people, essential employees and whatnot, not working remote. There's kind of this disconnect and maybe a bigger need for community. How was COVID for, for your company? And then how did you, uh, you know, how, how is that kind of changing the, the need of, for communities? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, we've all faced, uh, um, you know, the last, what has it been, six, seven months um, you know, with, the, with the onset of the pandemic, some various challenges. Early on, um, you know, not, not surprisingly, our organization was able to make the switch to uh, working from home seamlessly. You know, we're a technology company, we're, we're supplying virtual community platforms out there, our workforce uh, is technology oriented. And so for us to simply move out of the office and get into a work from home environment, operationally, pretty straightforward. You know, we had to do a few changes. Obviously, our daily communication had to move to Zoom like everybody else's probably did. You know, the interesting thing is we started to kind of merge personal lives with work lives. Um, the, the interesting aspect there was, you know, there, as much as I think we thought we knew our coworkers, uh, when you're actually taking uh, that stand up on a daily basis from the dining room or from the home office, and you know whether it's a pet or a child or or a spouse walks into the screen, it's it's kind of a different environment. So that was that was fun, that was interesting, and at the same time we continued to to focus, or at least you know from a leadership perspective, what we wanted to do was to say with this loss of in-person interaction, how, how do we supplement that? So 
we did move, as I mentioned, to daily stand-ups on Zoom. Um, you know, we have our meetings on Zoom, et cetera. And at the same time, as, as the summer approached, we took the opportunity to get together physically in an outdoor sort of safe scenario, socially distance, all those practice requirements that everyone is asking for. But we, we tended to do more than we might have in the past. So we, you know, uh, we're, we're located in Calgary, Alberta, Western Canada, right at the foothills of the Rockies. You know, we took uh, probably a half a dozen hikes this year with the group, which was, well, obviously it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, you lose sight of what you have right here when you're not using it regularly. So that was a great thing. And at the same time, you know, you have to understand that everyone is going through a different kind of challenge as a result of this. So the empathy was a big part of it, making sure that we all appreciated that it wasn't the same for everyone. The extended community for individuals was also something that was uh, interesting to see. So as much as we weren't impacted, probably everybody in your organization had somebody else that was directly impacted, whether they were furloughed or whether they lost their job. So that was a, you know, a stressor that you had to appreciate. So we supported individuals through that. And thankfully, in our case, um, there was a pause in the business. Uh, we certainly saw a delay with some of the inbound interest, but uh, overall, we were able to survive through that. And we're starting to see things pick up as we move forward. But probably the most interesting thing was we have, um, you know, account managers that work close with our communities. And they came back and said, we should be doing something to support customers and their employees. And uh, it was an internal driven scenario where we, we worked with and offered up the opportunity to launch employee communities. And those employee communities were not to do with anything with respect to driving the business. They were simply there to support individuals now in their work from home environment. So there was a fun aspect. People were showing their work from home setups. There was a support aspect because, you know, people were faced with different challenges. And so the employee base uh, was able to get together and provide a support in a virtual sense. And then, you know, where required lean in managers had a better appreciation of what's going on. So, so it's it a really kind of an emotional and, and great view of how the organization was to kind of step out of the regular course of business, still within sort of the product offering we have, but directed into an employee world for you know, mental support, physical support, and just providing a place to go to share some of the day-to-day challenges and ask for how others are dealing with this. You know, what are you doing to overcome this? How are you taking care of uh, childcare that's not happening anymore? Is there some things I should be aware of in my in my geography that might be beneficial given I have this challenge? And so it just provided a, a, a place that these people could congregate, work together, share things. And, uh, you know, the feedback we got was extremely positive in that the, the individuals were appreciative. The brands loved it. And, uh, you know, we're now exploring whether they continue on or not. But again, further value of why community in, the, in an online sense can deliver value for us. For a totally unrelated, you know, business reason. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. I've heard of these things, and I, I look forward to that being sort of the wrap up to the to the podcast. I know. I knew that as a listener, I knew you're 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 gearing for. I got to switch these up or something, um, so that you don't know it's coming. Everyone should check out Salesforce.com/slash/marketing. You can discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. They've been the sponsor of this show since the very beginning, 200 plus episodes. We love Salesforce. Check them out, salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Terry, are you ready? I'm ready. What is your best guess for when Canada will win the cup? Any Canadian team? Uh, 
2022. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Who do you think it's going to be? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> do you have a, a hobby you picked up in shelter in place? Well, you know, <laughs> we certainly built our fair share of Lego. I mean, you know, as a Lego provider, we get access to the kits that come out of Lego ideas. So, so I, I did build a few Lego kits, surprisingly enough. Do you have any uh, any memorable hockey players uh, that you that you coached uh, or played with that uh, particularly stood out? Um, yeah, there's quite a few, but you know, I think probably um, rather than a player, um, I, you know, when I started off uh, at the, I guess I was 17 years old, so at the uh, U18 level uh, in hockey, I had a coach by the name of Ken Hitchcock, and. Uh, Ken went on to become an extremely successful fourth winningest coach in the NHL. Jack Adams, you know, award for best coach and then also winning a Stanley Cup. And so, you know, as, as one individual that touched, you know, my sporting career and went on to be successful themselves, I certainly would bring him up. Do you have a book or podcast uh, that you read or listen to uh, regularly? Um, well, I mean, would, would, it, would it be vain to say that? I mean, obviously, uh, your podcast is something that I do listen to regularly. Um, ah, gee, thanks. <laughs> we appreciate it. That's for sure. You're part of our community. Well, it, it's, it's relevant content. So I find it ex- extremely interesting. I, I do enjoy uh, Scott uh, Galloway. Uh, in terms of uh, Professor G, his podcast, I find that uh, just given the times and his focus on, um, I think as he calls them, um, the four henchmen, um, you know, Apple, Google, um, Facebook, and Amazon in terms of uh, their dominance and what's taking place and the various dynamics, I find that extremely interesting. And then book-wise, um, you know, a book that I read probably hmm, almost a year ago now uh, by Tim Grover, Relentless, which is... Uh, uh, he was a, a supporter, a, a trainer for some of the elite, bas- elite basketball players like uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and the likes. So fascinating in terms of understanding, you know, what drives that elite athlete and how they continue to work to be better than they already are. What is your best advice for a first-time CEO? Empathy. And, uh, you know, at the same time, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. CEO uh, is can be a lonely position, but I think what I really like about what I'm seeing is things are changing. That people are realizing that you're only human as well, and so um, you know, showing a side of vulnerability is, is actually something that uh, I think is ex- being more and more accepted and just real, and it just it fosters a stronger relationship within the organization. If you weren't doing this, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I, I I think. Uh, I'd probably be a sports psychologist for, for some of the reasons I already mentioned. I have a strong interest in sort of just the psychology of, of, of what makes people go. And, I, you know, my sports background has kind of pointed me in that direction. So uh, when I think about it, and I, and I have a couple of times just saying, you know, why did I end up where I did? And there's logical reasons for that. But, you know, if I was to redo it again with the knowledge I have today, I think I would take a path of psychology. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Um, I probably, the one is, you know, what, what am I most proud of? You know, having reached this stage in my life, what is the one thing that I'm most proud of? Yeah. What is it? My family. Um, without a question, I, you know, I, I couldn't do it without the support of my wife all these years. Uh, she's been a, a strong advocate, strong supporter. And I have two grown children now that I'm extremely proud of and they've done extremely well themselves. And, uh, I look forward to what they're going to do with the, you know, the balance of their lives and how they will, um, contribute to uh, the world as we know it. Terry, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining. Really appreciate it. And appreciate you listening. Always fun to hear uh, our, our guests that listen and follow along. Any final thoughts? 
Anything to plug? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I probably didn't weave in, but I, I, I got to tell you from a personal perspective, I really enjoyed uh, the plug. And I don't know how come I ended up on it, but with Josh, uh, Josh Zad with uh, Alfred Coffee, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hobby coffee roaster. So I have a small roaster in my garage that I, that I roast coffee on. And so I found that fast. I just, that's probably another parallel interest I have is just, just the different coffees. And so roasting myself is, uh, you know, having that fresh coffee has been something I've sort of stumbled into the last five years. So that, that podcast was extremely um, educational and fascinating. Awesome. Yeah. Great to hear. I love it. It's uh, it's great chatting with you. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to keep tabs on this community. I think it's just a massive, uh, massive opportunity for CMOs. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think uh, we, we certainly, you know, as long as we've been at it, I think you're seeing some things that are pointing in the right direction. So we're optimistic about what it can do. We certainly see the value with the ones that we work with. It's just trying to get everybody else kind of at that next stage of evolution beyond social. You know, I, one final thing before we get out of here. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to ask you about lurkers, uh, you know, the people who are on your, in your yes. online community. Uh, and we didn't, we didn't get to it, but you're a lurker. You're a marketing trends lurker. You, you never tweeted about it that I know of. Maybe you have and didn't, no, no. didn't tag us. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny how that stuff works. Oh, it's totally. And that's one thing that we have to spend time understanding and educating a lot of folks on is, you know, the standard is one, I think we use one nine ninety. you know, 90% of the folks uh, in, your, in your membership are lurkers. But um, don't for a minute think they're not delivering value because one, they're carrying the message. Um, they may be taking things that they you know, find through the community, et cetera, and apply it in different ways. That, you know, so you can't make the connection, but the value is there and that's shown. Now, the benefit we have is that is rather than one nine ninety, we actually push that probably sort of to 10, I'll say 15. So we, we you know, 15 and then the balance. We, we see sometimes upwards of 30 to 40% participation on an ongoing basis. Now, it's not constant. That still is that minority. but People are interacting more than that sort of ten percent that the traditional uh, research has shown. Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, yeah, maybe we'll have you back and do an episode about uh, just lurking and lurkers and figuring it out. Because I mean, we you know this podcast like we can't tell because all the apps don't tell you who is listening, right? They don't want you to know. Exactly. So it's like you know we have one hundred percent lurkers unless you know folks you know reach out to us or respond to our you know email newsletter or things like that. But um, yeah, it's uh, especially in like different mediums to try to figure out how people are engaging. But to your point there, it was like, you know, when you think of social, I mean, yes, there is the retweeting. Yes, there is the now a little bit of bite size with respect to interaction, you know, a quick poll or something to that effect. But these people, like I said in the podcast, are self-identified as interest. You need to do more, right? You can't just, you know, it, there's value in what they're doing, but they're also saying they want to do more. So, you know, getting the brand to move to that engagement phase to me is just a missed opportunity. And that's what obviously we're, we're trying to advocate and push for. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really think that that is, that is, you know, if we're in the, you know, second inning of this community phase, it's like, that will be the exciting thing to, to figure out people who've, who've raised their hand and to deliver, you know, better, better experiences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Pervy, well, I appreciate the time, Ian. Uh, hopefully things turn out okay. Thanks so much for joining. All right, Ian. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. 
automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.